today, we continue this series on colossal truth. And we've been here for quite a few weeks now. And you know, the reason that this was entitled Colossal Truth is because we're going through the book of Romans. And colossal has this uh, meaning of sort of great in size, extent, degree. It's just so huge. And so Romans is a book that's filled with these kind of huge colossal truths. And we're breaking up the series in four parts. And we're in part one now, which is about ruin. Uh, then we'll talk about redemption, rejection, and then responsibility, our ability to respond. And so today we're going to continue talking about ruin, and in particular man's ruin. And before we jump into our passage, I'm going to, I'm going to pray for us and, and get us going. Lord Jesus, we, we come before you. Uh, we are humbled. We're humbled by what we just heard. We're humbled by what you've done for us on the cross. Um, and we're thankful that you have given us your word um, that we can study and, and understand um, kind of how you would have us live and how you would have us be. Uh, Lord, today, uh, please be with me as I, as I, as I preach and, and attempt to uh, speak your words. Lord, may your words be spoken, and I pray that everyone listening um, would just think about what you are saying, Lord, rather than the words that I'm saying. So, uh, so we thank you. Um, and come before you expectantly waiting for you to, uh, to continue to move in our hearts as you have been perhaps throughout this whole week and in our lives. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen. So, uh, let's see. So, uh, the, the sermon today is actually entitled uh, Judgment. And it's on Romans 2, 12 to 16. And, uh, and so what, really, as I thought about kind of how to start something like this, uh, sort of what better way to start it um, then to show you a picture of my second youngest, sweet, cute boy. Uh, and so that's Caden. Okay, he's two years old. Uh, and, you know, he knows that there are some rules in our house and so on. Uh, for example, like, you're not supposed to hit or jump on your sort of similarly cute younger, <laughs> younger brother, right? And, and, yet, uh, and yet he seems to, to do that. Quite a bit, even uh, even this week, um, you know, he sort of beat up on his brother a little bit and so on. And as parents, uh, we do have to sort of enact some sort of punishment, just so he knows that that it's wrong and it's sort of in line with his ability to understand what he's supposed to do. It's in line with his ability to to obey. Um, but now, I mean, let's fast forward. I don't know, 18 years, let's say. You know, if he was still doing that. Uh, so the, the punishment would be a lot more dramatic, and you know, we have some, some maybe that have older siblings and, and, and know what I'm talking about. Um, so, you know, the older he is, right, the more is revealed to him, the more is, uh, the more he's capable of understanding, and more be expected of him, and the punishment would be a lot more stringent. Perhaps it would include something like jail, uh, not from me, but but perhaps the authorities. So, uh, so, so I say that because today we're going to dig in and into, into our passage and, and we're going to see how God's law and his judgment applies to all, everyone. But also we'll see a little bit of how judgment can be applied differently depending on what's been revealed to you. And also, and also we're going to talk that there's a day of reckoning coming. There's a day where, this is gonna, where, where judgment is coming. Um, but, but we're also going to see a really, really important thing. We're going to see hope. And we're going to talk about that. So our message breaks down as follows. We're going to start talking about the law, 
Um, we're going to talk about our conscience, um, and then about judgment, hell, and hope. And, and this sermon I was, is actually really heavy, and uh, at, least, at least to me. Um, I, I was deeply convicted while preparing, uh, almost to the point of tears in some cases. And, um, and, and I thought about it, man, like this is actually one of the benefits of preaching through the, through the Bible. Right? So we, we're going through the book of Romans, and you don't get to, to, to pick sort of what makes you comfortable and what makes you uh, sort of, oh, this is easy to, to preach because everybody loves to hear about, I don't know, some, you know a couple jokes and, and something about how, how everything is just awesome. No, like, we don't get to necessarily pick what passage hits us, and, uh, and that's, that's actually a really good thing because God has given us his Bible, his whole counsel for us to study, not to pick and choose different parts. So let's jump in. Please open your Bibles to uh, Romans 2, uh, verses 12 through 16. Uh, so Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. If you don't have a Bible, there's one sort of under the, the seats in front of you. And um, I'd encourage you to just kind of keep it open there the whole time. Uh, check my words, check what I'm saying, um, and, uh, and we're going to jump in. So let me go ahead and read that for us, uh, starting in verse 12. And it goes like this. For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. On that day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. So we'll start with the law uh, in verse 12 um, that says, For all have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. So this word, law, hopefully like you heard it over and over and over. It's mentioned 11 times in just these verses. So we should probably have a good understanding um, of what it means. Um, and in this context, the law is both in the sort of abstract sense, and I'll talk about that, but also the mosaic law. There's a principle here that's laid out in general, and, um, and also one that, that could be viewed with specific reference to the law of Moses. Let me first talk about the Mosaic Law, just, just a little bit. So this is the first five books of the Bible, or the Torah, um, though you could say that it's summarized in the Ten Commandments, um, but there are other things in there. There are things like uh, moral laws, things on murder, theft, honesty, adultery, uh, social laws, property, inheritance, marriage, divorce, uh, food laws, some of my favorite, uh, so what is clean and unclean. Um, for example... Uh, clean food, uh, that would be, some, be something like maybe you know, ice cream or you know, chocolate-covered raisins. Mm, so good. Uh, like unclean food would be something like maybe, I don't know, Brussels sprouts or, uh, or just about anything from Applebee's, okay? <laughs> uh, uh, that's not in the Bible. <laughs> uh, yeah, sorry, I just I couldn't resist. Um, so, so look, you know, th- there's various laws, um, you know, and and uh, and if you had 
kind of coming back to verse 12, right? If you had the Mosaic law, right, so to the Jews that this was being addressed, uh, if you had that law, you would be judged by it. That means that uh, God's opinion of you would be formed according to this law of Moses and how, how you've been able to, uh, to keep that particular law. So then you'll say, oh, cool, okay. All I have to do is keep the law and I'm in. Well, so first of all, you have to keep the law perfectly. So let's see, has anyone been able to keep the law perfectly? Let, let's pick one. Let's just, let's just start with one, lying. Okay, now we're not necessarily you know, back in Roman times, but let, let me just say, has anyone here like, ever told a lie? Just in their life. Okay, and the, the, the ones of you that are not, so putting up your hands, I just assume that you're, you're tired and it's too hard to raise your hand. Uh, so, so already we're, we're, sort of, we're lawbreakers, right? Uh, because uh, if you break the law even a little bit, you, you've broken the whole law. Pick something like, you know, like adultery. We know from Jesus that it's not just about outward action. So obeying the law isn't about just outward action, but also thoughts and what's in your mind. Um, or, hey, I'm a pretty good guy or gal. You know, I haven't killed anyone. Like, okay, give me that. Well, let's see what Jesus says about that in Matthew 5. He says, I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. Notice that Jesus looks at what's inside, not outside. Notice, too, there that there's this theme of judgment. Like there's, there's judgment based on uh, disobeying the law. But let's say, let's say that you don't subscribe to the law as, uh, as represented by the Ten Commandments. So, but as you dig into the Greek of this passage... It can be generalized further to not just be the Mosaic law, but the concept of law. There's a principle here that applies generically as to your conscience. So yes, the Ten Commandments are part of it and these other things, but it's really it's the, but this law that's on your heart and principle that apply with or without the Mosaic law. And catch this. If you look back to verse 12, catch this, and it's really important. There's a key insight there where it says, sin without the law will also perish without the law. The key insight is that they shall perish without the law. So if you don't have the law, you'd perish without it. There's no power to save. You're not somehow saved by not having the law. There's power to condemn, but no power to save in that particular law. This makes our purpose and commission, great commission, so important. Uh, Lord Jesus asked for us, for the gospel to be preached. Even in Romans 10.4, it says, how can, we, how can they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? So it's apart from the law or by the works of the law, no one can be saved. And we have to um, go out and, and tell people the way to salvation. Uh, and I'll, I'll get into that for sure. Um, note here too that there's the, the people will be judged to a degree of law which they possess, right? So there's a lesser degree for those that truly know the revealed law um, than for those that, that don't. Um, 
so in and and this is this is supporting other parts of scriptures as well like when jesus says truly i say to you it'll be more bearable in that day of judgment for the land of sodom and gomorrah than for that town meaning more was revealed to some and so more is expected so there's greater punishment there and uh you know and, and perhaps less is expected for others but in either case um no no hope of salvation just just from from the law or or how you might act towards it Let's move on to, to verse 13. And that goes like this. It is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. So what is, what is justification? This is a legal declaration. This is a legal declaration of our relationship to God. It's, a, it's an act of God where he thinks, where he thinks of our sins as forgiven, and Christ's righteousness as belonging to us, and he also declares us righteous in his sight. So it's not enough to just hear the law, okay? It's not enough to just hear the law any more than it's enough to, for example, like hear about exercise and expect to be in shape, right? <laughs> like, yeah, like it's not, uh, it, it's, it, it's no better than like hearing about a diet and expecting to lose weight or, uh, or, you know, there's kind of a fad on, on Facebook, like where people are doing different, um, sort of different exercise programs and so on. I mean, just because you like that on Facebook, right, that doesn't somehow just like naturally sort of apply to you, right? There's this action that then needs to be taken. Um, and verse 13, let's get into the hard part of this verse. The, verse 13, the verse that we're in here, it obviously refers to the verse below it, verse 12, that says, Hey, you would be judged by the law, um, and in particular how you did the law. This isn't, and catch this, please, this isn't saying that salvation is by works, right? Paul isn't somehow contradicting himself. So we have to look at the whole letter of Romans and the context of the whole Bible to really understand justification. And I, like, I wrestled with this for a long time. Uh, uh, but so let, let's kind of, let's go through some, some, some other place in the Bible. Uh, to understand justification. Um, if, if you go even a little bit further in Romans 3, um, between verses 20 to 26, I'll, I'll pick a couple. Uh, and they go as follows, you know, five, for by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his, side, in his sight. So through the law comes knowledge of sin. Or further in verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Verse 26, it was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So again, on what basis, on what basis are we completely forgiven? So recall earlier, right, what we're saying that one cannot be perfect as the law requires. Like you just cannot do it. And so this verse, verse 13, isn't saying that anyone who has performed it's not saying that anyone has performed 100% according to the law and have had perfect and unqualified obedience to the law. The implication in this verse is that no man can be saved by his works or his actions. This is a really big deal. This is a really, really big deal. So I'm going to go a little bit deeper. In Romans later, Romans 8.30 says, Those whom he predestined, he also called and those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. God 
does it. He does it all. He calls, he justifies, he glorifies. Romans 3.28 says, For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And bonus, Galatians 2.16 says, you, We know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Don't miss that. Don't miss those verses. Now, there is evidence of justification. There is evidence of what's inside of you by what you do. <clears throat> and this evidence of justification, that is based on works. Right? So, it's very hard, really hard, to be saved and to have a life that is changed. Um, and yet not show that in your actions and in the things that you do. Um, if you, you know, plenty of examples of this in the Bible too, right? But, um, you know, a fig tree can produce oranges, right? For example, like, what we do does reflect what's inside. But don't confuse that for what you do, putting you in right relationship with God. That is not what this, what this passage is saying. Okay, so we've talked about the law a bit and its power, in particular its power to not save. Um, and, and we're going we're gonna to move on to, to a couple more verses that talk about man's, uh, about our conscience a little bit. You can say, well, look, I don't, I don't really sort of believe in those first five books and um, I don't know about you know, this whole law thing, but, but let's, let's talk a little bit about our conscience. So let's look in verses 14 and 15. Um, and they go like this. For when Gentiles, so this is everyone except for Jews, who do not have the law, by nature do what the law requires, their law to themselves. Even though they do not have the law, they show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. So in these two verses, Paul shows right, that even though there are people that do not have the written law of God, they have sufficient knowledge of his will to take away every excuse of sin. And again, this verse isn't to be understood as saying as a historical fact that any person ever... Um, ever perfectly obeyed the law, uh, either um, any, any more than it's saying that in the previous verse, the Jews were able to perfectly obey the law. This isn't somehow saying, oh yeah, yeah, you can, your conscience is able to, to save you. That's, that's not what it's saying. Any more than the previous, previous verses are saying that the law can save you. The main point is that if people are justified by the law, their obedience has to be entire and perfect. And it's not external only, or it doesn't consist in just hearing or acknowledging the justice of the law. And the Gentiles, so everyone else had an opportunity of illustrating this principle as well as the Jews, because they had a law among themselves. They had their conscience. So if you look at things like the Ten Commandments, right, there are many basic tenets there that are practiced in many places. Um, so all over the world, right, regardless, 
uh, you know, sort of in, in faraway places or even at your local high school, right? Like there's, um, you know, things like not killing, not committing adultery, not stealing, not lying, not coveting. Those are some fundamental principles, things that cultures value, like, you know, justice, honesty, um, compassion, goodness, goodness towards others. These are things that are inside us and, uh, and actually, for those that, that, uh, that think about these things, they also point to, uh, to a creator, somebody that would have put that in their conscience. Men have a warning system that activates when they choose, by men, men or women, have a warning system that activates when they choose to disobey. Uh, and you actually, this warning system, you see that really well in children. Uh, sorry, I have children on my mind. I have five of them, and they're just always on your mind. Uh, so, so, for example, hey, toddler, where is he? Like, I haven't seen him in a few minutes. And I have, I'm not hearing him scream, so there must be something wrong. Uh, and so, uh, so, as you look, it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, he grabbed the milkshake, and he's in a corner, like, sucking on it, because, you know, the thing that he was supposed to share with everyone. He, we didn't actually tell him that he's supposed to share, but innately, he knew that that wasn't his. He knew that he was doing something wrong. His conscience was convicting him. So he's kind of just, just hiding and you know, sucking it down. Um, that's, that's his conscience at work. Um, and, and every one of us has, has one of these, this warning system. Now, uh, here's a warning, though. Ignoring our conscience, ignoring it, makes it less and less prone to speak up. We become desensitized. First Timothy 4.2 uh, talks about how our conscience gets, gets seared. Right? The more you ignore it, the more your conscience gets seared. Um, and let's face it, in today's world, we see images and have access to content that would have made our great-grandparents blush. Sort of not to speak of the Puritans of, or Christians of a few centuries ago. Our consciences tend to be desensitized. Look at this. I mean, let me show you an example. Um, this is mag- the magazine Seventeen, which, well, I actually don't read it, and but but I imagine it's about uh, you know for for young adults and so on. Um, and and this cover is from 1950. Okay, and. Uh, you have kind of like this sweet picture. She's sort of dreamily looking into the sky and with a flower. He's reading, I think he's reading a poem, which is incredible. Um, and, uh, and that was kind of, you know, back then, right, in, in the 50s. Um, now, let's look at a... Brace yourself. Like, let, let's look at a more recent one, okay? Uh, so this is 17 today. Uh, and I, by the way, I had to like look a little bit to find one that's even appropriate to show. Okay, uh, and then like so some of the some of the headlines, uh, some boy meets girl in 1950s, you know, and sort of lately, what is it, the new hookup rules you need to know, uh, and you know things like that. Uh, that little sort of orange and black rectangle, that isn't that wasn't on the magazine cover. I put that in there because I couldn't show that headline in church. Uh, so it's just different. Things have changed. And over time, our consciences have gotten used, uh, have gotten used to this, and we become more desensitized. However, how what has happened to God since the 1950s? What has happened to God since the beginning of creation? Nothing. Like He hasn't changed. God's laws are the same. 
right? Our consciences have changed, perhaps, but God hasn't. He doesn't change over time. There's no such thing as sort of modernizing God or, or no, God is the same now, the same yesterday, the same tomorrow. Um, so, so as we look further in this verse and people's thoughts are excusing or accusing or excusing them and we're flip-flopping from situation to situation, uh, sort of all the while it's pointing to the fact we have a lot written on our hearts, a right and a wrong, which in turn points to God. But man, like our conscience, like you can't trust them. Like they change so much and they go back and forth. You, you can't trust them apart from what Christ can do inside of your heart. So let's recap a little bit. Where are we at? So um, we've made it all the way through verse, six, verse 15 and we've seen that the law applies as far as judgment goes, to all men and women, Jews and Gentiles, everyone. Whether they subscribe to the Torah or what Gentiles and God's laws in their hearts, that applies to everyone. So what happens next? This is where we get to talk a little bit about judgment, talk a bit about hell, and a bit about hope. In verse 16 goes like this. On that day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. My gospel. In there, my gospel. What is Paul's gospel? It's not like a special, different kind of gospel. It's, it's the gospel, the good news. It's Paul's teaching as a preacher of, of the gospel. It's the gospel of God that he refers to in Romans 1.1. It's not any gospel of false prophets or false teachers. It's that Jesus came to earth. He lived a perfect life. He fulfilled the law. He died for our sins, was raised up on the third day, and is now forever at the right hand of God. And man, putting our faith in Him and our trust in Him, that, that gets Him to fulfill this law for us and this judgment. It's no longer, it can no longer be on us. Man, this is good news in light of Judgment in light of that day, which is referred to on, in verse 16. Catch this. Believers in Christ Jesus will not be judged on their deeds the way non-believers will. They will be rewarded for those that are in Christ Jesus. The judgment is taken away by Jesus Christ. This verse is connected to you know, this whole passage and even Romans up to now, of course. And it implies that the pagan world, as well as the Jews, everyone, will arrive at judgment. At that time, God will judge in all righteousness the Jew by the law which he had and the pagan by the law which he had. Everyone. Acts 17.31 says, because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed, and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. This is heavy. This should be convicting. Um, there is a judgment coming. This, this day, there is a judgment coming for unbelievers. In Romans 2.5, a little bit earlier, because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. In Revelation 20, I'm going to quote a few verses from there. In verse 12, it says, I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. 
Another book was opened, which was the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. In verse 15, if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So let me ask you, let me ask you this. What is true of every single person that has lived up to yesterday? And what is true of everyone in this room, in our families, in our communities, in the world, provided that Jesus doesn't come back first? Everyone will die. That's like that's true. There and and just as surely there's coming a day when God will judge everyone. There's coming a day. And Jesus Christ will be that judge. We see it here and in other places as well. Jesus Christ is the judge of the living and the dead. In Revelation twenty twelve that we just read. And what is we'll go one level deeper. What is this judgment? What is this day of wrath? That, that it's talking about. There's no appropriate picture. For those that aren't in Christ Jesus, there's hell. And this is a place of eternal conscience, punishment for the wicked. Jesus says, Cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. These, their men will weep and gnash their teeth. There's eternal conscious punishment. There's eternal fire. This is really hard. This is really hard. And even in Romans, later in Romans, Paul says he has great sorrow and unceasing anguish in his heart when he thinks about this for those that are around him that aren't in Jesus. Jonathan Edwards, in his famous sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, where he, he touches on, on, this, on this kind of topic, his congregation that was listening to him, they were yelling and shrieking. They rolled in the aisles. They cried it up into the pulpit and begged him to stop forcing Edwards at one point to speak people and desire silence that he might be heard. And they reacted with, what shall I do to be saved? Like, how do I get saved from this, this hell that it's, that it's, that's coming? As surely as death is coming, so is this. What must I do to be saved? And Edwards responded with, let everyone that is out of Christ now awake and fly from the wrath to come. The wrath of Almighty God is now undoubtedly hanging over the great part of this congregation. Let everyone fly out of Sodom. Haste and escape for your lives. Look not behind you. Escape to the mountain, lest you be consumed. That's, that's a call. If you're not in Christ Jesus, escape to the mountain. Escape to Jesus. Note too that there's also a judgment for believers. However, this is for rewards. Uh, like Romans 2.6 and other places as well, Romans 8.1, there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What good, what good news. But man, what a call to action too. This is, this is incredible news if you're in Christ. It's really terrible news if you're not. And by the way, Jesus is the judge, and he judges the secrets of men. He knows the motives behind the actions. It's much deeper than outwardly doing it. If there's any doubt about how and where salvation could come from, the fact that he knows all of our secrets, everything inside of us, should remove all doubt. Psalm 139 says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. 
You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down. You are acquainted with all my ways. Luke 8, 17, nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. God is all-knowing. He knows secret thoughts, our actions, our everything. And so Jesus is not only the mediator of our salvation, but also of judgment. But you guys, church, there is, there is hope here. There is hope. 2 Corinthians 6 says, In a favorable time I listened to you, and in a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Like, it's not too late for everyone hearing me. Like, it's not too late. Like, now is the time to, to go to Jesus. Now is the day of salvation. Hear the comforting, comforting words of Jesus. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Therefore, what shall we do? Church, what do we do? Well, our part, man, you run to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And I don't want to reduce this to what else could apply for everyone, but I I ask that you would just take action And do what God is asking you to do. And what does God do? He judges. He also exercises patience and forbearance. He stays completely just and gracious. And he is the one that saves. So to to conclude, we know that we will meet Jesus face to face. We do not know when this will happen. Uh, a friend of mine, uh, same, same age, maybe a year younger, um, he had three children. He was driving to work uh, one day some years ago. I, was in, I was, happened to be in a meeting at work. Um, and he was, he was driving, and uh, a pipe from a car in front of him uh, sort of fell out the back and went through the window. And, uh, and my friend met Jesus that day. It was a day like any other. I have another friend. Uh, when, when, he was, when he was 25 years old, he was diagnosed with this sort of rare form of cancer. 25, 25 years old. Rare form of cancer. Fought with it for, for many years. Um, now he too is with the Lord. Uh, look at like your Facebook feed. So there's this uproar about celebrities passing away right in the last year, even in the last few months. Uh, George Michael, lately, you know, Carrie Fisher, you know, her mom. Um, you guys, like, a day is coming for all of us. Everyone will pass away. For those that know Jesus, there's therefore now no condemnation. No condemnation. It will be an event for rewards. It will be awesome. 
For those that do not know Jesus, it will be an event for wrath. And in both cases, Jesus will be just and righteous in, in his decisions. So I beg you, I, I implore you, how then, how then shall we live? It, it, I think it's time to understand the weight There's weight here. It's time to know Jesus. Uh, teenagers, teenagers, you're not invincible. None of us are. Uh, the most gracious God has done the work and, and is calling. Like now, is, now is the time to answer and to, and to understand the weight of what Paul is, is telling people. There's only one way, only one way, and that's Jesus. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray. I'll invite the, the band to come up. Um, Jesus, we, we thank you that, uh, that you have saved us. For those that have put their trust in you, Lord, I pray that those that I know and those in my family and around uh, give me the courage to, to, to speak the truth in love. And I, I just I thank you for your graciousness, for your patience. Help people to see you for the gracious God that you are. I just pray that you bring people to salvation and use us, Lord. For those that already know you, use us as, as tools in your work, Lord. I praise in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, as Grio and I were talking about this passage and thinking about it, he mentioned this at the start, that as you walk your way through the scriptures, you come to places that are, that are really heavy. Um, and I love that he ended with, with hope, because what we're doing with Romans is we are taking it segment at a time. And you'll notice he already fast-forwarded to Romans 8.1. Romans 8.1 is a hopeful part of this letter that he's building this argument to. But if you are handed, hey, there's no condemnation ahead of time without seeing how desperate your situation is, it's a flippant gift that you receive. And what we're doing as we walk through, I mean, we're in this section of Romans that we've just called ruin. And it's Paul laying bare, whether it's the law that you've been given or your own moral code, we don't live up to how we know we should live. And this conscience points to a lawgiver. What then will we do with the guilt of our sin?